This is the Blue Man Group. This is the Blue Man Group. This is the Blue Man Group. My name is Ron Ecstasy, and this is the Blue Man Group. Blue Man Group. Again. <laughs> he's again. joined. Do he's it joined, again. He's joined by uh, <laughs> myself, Devin, and uh, and our friend John as well. Yeah, our also. friend John. Hi, guys. Uh, welcome to another week in Blue Men. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to cover. I'm glad yeah. to be back. There is. Glad to glad to see both of you. Let's jump right in. Compliments. Now, there are some rules for this uh, compliment section. Let's keep it snappy. Uh, so the rule um, that I've just picked out of the Blue Man Group hat is you have to do compliments <laughs> without saying any words, just noises. I'll begin. Devin. <laughs> and uh, John. <laughs> nice. That's it. Comp- That's, um, all right. Those are my comments. Are getting really abstract now. Yeah. All right, John uh, and uh, Ron. Uh, <clears throat> wow. Nice. Wow. Okay. Uh, Devin and uh, Ron. Uh, oh no! That that's uh, clearly nice. uh, trying to mention something about my nasal. Yeah, I my, cleared my throat and he did. Yeah, it's all about your sinuses. Yeah, we, yeah, because yeah. I I have a deviated septum. Um, this podcast is all about above the shoulders, phlegm, mucus. Yes. Yeah. Uh, over the shoulder, boulder holder. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so let's jump right into our one of our my one of my absolute favorite sections of Blue Men Group uh, podcast. This week in history. January 21st, 1793. In Paris, the French Revolution turns bloody as King Louis XVI, condemned for treason, is executed on the guillotine. Wow. Guillotine. Popular, popular, uh, 2020, 2021, 20, well, 2017, 2019, 2018 as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, just in reference to uh, a lot of, you know, politicians, people were like, Hey, what if we brought back the guillotine? And, yeah. Uh, people in America have been talking about guillotine, guillotines more and more these days. So this is relevant. Yeah. Absolute sicko behavior. I agree. John. I know. What a uh, nasty man who invented the guillotine. Yeah, Mr. Guillotine, Monsieur Guillotine, as he's <laughs> known. Uh, he uh, actually probably, I mean, this isn't fact. I'm just speculating. This is speculative history, but uh, I, I, I think the idea behind the guillotine was he needed to chop some like food or something like that, and it was just getting out of control. His portion sizes, the amount of people that this uh, Monsieur Guillotine had to feed, so they used this uh, guillotine. See, uh, I thought it was um, 
he was smoking a cigar and he was mm. looking at that little thing that you yes. chopped the end off with. Yes. And where some people would look at it and say, why? Monsieur Guillotine looked at it and said, why not? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the cigar circumciser. I don't know what those <laughs> things are called. but I think you just, that was, we can call them cigar cir- circumcisers. Yeah. Um, I don't, listen, I have no experience with the guillotine. I'm not licensed to operate one. I've never been around one. Um, but it worked for France, I guess. I know nothing about the French Revolution, but I am, I'm also dubious that this was the event that turned it violent. This is when it got bad. <laughs> this is <laughs> this was the moment. <laughs> the guillotine, yeah, I think it was somewhat of a fresh invention at the time. I think people were... It was kind of like how when Google Glass first came out and people were really <laughs> excited about it and it was like, this is going to change everything. And, yeah. You know, they got a little too overenthusiastic and they chopped yeah. the king's head off. They chopped tons of heads and then it was like, uh, I don't know. You yeah. go to the bar and there'd be a guillotine and you'd be yeah. like, again, okay. It's like axe throwing. Uh, yeah, they, it will, I, yeah, they start, there's like tons of them in Bushwick. That's where it starts, I guess. But um, Yeah, or it's like I, seg- I w- Segway tours or something. Yeah, I, I was thinking like uh, there must have been competitive, you know, like like some other guy on the other side of town was, he. oh, his guillotine's like way better. Like you got to check out his. <laughs> like the uh, he uses this kind of oil uh, that that makes it slide faster and like you'll, yeah. you'll the, you're gonna kill the guy in about six seconds. Yeah, I like that the idea that there was like some guy who was just like drowning politicians and he was like, "What? No good? This isn't good enough for you guys?" Yeah. <laughs> and the guillotine was actually seen as a as a humane execution uh, method. <laughs> I'm serious. I know. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about thinking about uh, you know a giant blade chopping your head off as as humane yeah i mean i guess it was more humane than living at the end of your days in at the time that's true or or getting drowned or getting tuberculosis getting uh drawn and quartered or something yeah Yeah. so there actually was a guy joseph ignace guillotine oh my god uh, it was mr guillotine yeah so speculative history turns out to be correct uh yeah, this guy was the uh, the king of the death penalty. These <laughs> he's um did not like people living. Uh wouldn't say <laughs> wouldn't say he's pro life at all. Um anti choice. Yeah, that's uh well, yeah, he's I I I don't it's weird that he spent his whole life uh trying to kill people, but um you know, hats off or heads off, I guess. Yeah, I mean, up until this point in history, people were like, yeah, drawing, quartering people. You were stuck with like the brazen bull. And uh, it was just yeah. sort of like, there has to be a better way. Yeah, the yeah. guillotine was an anti-death penalty measure. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It, I mean, the the inv- the, pop- the popularizer of the guillotine uh, was uh, this guy, Joseph Guillotine. And he was against the death penalty. And he put forward the idea of the guillotine as a way to... Minimize oh. suffering. Wow. So he, Which is he, such he a change in history when originally when you proposed new ways to execute people to the state, it was like, can you make it more painful? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you guys no, know, know about the, the bronze bowl thing? Oh, God, no. It's like a big brass bronze bowl and you would put someone inside of it and you put it over a flame. Oh, and you God. You would just bake someone inside and then there was like, a contraption in the mouth so that people's screams were like bull sounds. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. Yeah, I don't think we want our listeners to know about no. this, John. No, this is, this is it's important to contextualize history because that is true. That's true. <laughs> Contextualization of history is important. When you see, when you think of the bronze bull, and then you think of the guillotine, it's like, eh, I'll I'll take the guillotine. Yeah, which would you prefer? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to have a word with. Uh, I'll have Ms. what she's having and referring to uh, to. Did you say bronze bowl or bronze bull? Whatever. I don't care. All right. Anyway, uh, yeah, we let's... have to uh, keep keep this train moving, this death train moving. Um, God, this is this is dark and dreary. We need to jump into the next uh, next little segment here. <laughs> I would like to issue some corrections. Uh, corrections and additions. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, <laughs> John, I believe uh, you have a correction. So th- we would just want to clear some things up that have been said on previous episodes. Well, Listen, we've, we've before, not. We're, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Before we get there, I had a correction. You skipped mine, but uh, that's all right. Just an addition um, here that I'd like to uh, to do before we move forward. Uh, in a recent episode, we covered uh, Doctor Harold Bornstein. The phys- famous physician to to uh, former President Donald Trump, and uh, we talked about the poetry that he published under the name Count Harold. So I just wanted to read one of Mr. Bornstein's poems: "The Magnificent Ten, or will the real Doctor Monsoon please stand up?" It was 18 November of 72. Hardly a man cared or knew or remembers this famous date and year. But ten strange souls had waited for weeks to see their Pedro battle the Sheik. Five rows from the action where they were, were they to sit, so none would miss a kick or a hit. Eight came early, but there was despair for Cappy and Eddie still were not there as the lights were dimmed, and all did know it was starting time for the wrestling show. Then came the wrestlers and the referee, and all ten were there in time to see Tony Garia beat Vincent Pometti by tying Vince up just like spaghetti. <laughs> From distant lands had they come, there to do battle and all just in fun. But the ten screamed for blood and sacred honor for Olympico to beat mean Chuck O'Connor. Linda screamed and Gilby moaned, Peter sighed and Jackie groaned as Buddy Wolf blew out his cork <laughs> on the golden boy from White Plains, New York. I don't Damn. know if that's the entire poem, but anyway, I just wanted to read that. That's nice. Yeah, I liked it. I would love if he if I was getting like a yearly physical and he, I, just off the top of his head had that and he was like whispering it to me in my ear. <laughs> and it's also the fact that it's a it's a poem about wrestling. Yeah, that's actually very cool. very cool. Yeah, and Donald Trump's connection with wrestling, you know, wrestling, yes. yeah. The title is incredible. Will the real Dr. Monsoon please stand up? Yeah. Yeah, it's he's kind of... Uh, I, I, I do think that Her- Dr. Harold Bornstein was also kind of uh, willing to play with that wrestling motif, so to speak. You know, he was willing to uh, essentially write whatever... He, he was willing to play the game, is what I'm trying to say here. And uh, I think that that comes out in his poetry as well. Yeah, and I appreciate that it's one of these poems that rhymes. It's not like one of these modern, postmodern yes, poems where it's just a you. sentence. I mean, come on. This thank is you, John. classic stuff here. 
Yes, that is great. Well, thank you, Dr. Harold Bornstein, our official doctor. Uh, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Uh, he's no longer with us, but he is still uh, practicing from heaven for us. <laughs> so thank you very much, um, Devin, for reading that and for Dr. Harold Bornstein for uh, producing such beautiful poetry. Um, I would like to issue just uh, two corrections uh, from previous episodes. John, I believe uh, you have a correction that you'd like to make. Yeah, well, we sort of like throwing around wild assertions without citing them. <clears throat> I, in a recent episode, uh, asked Devin if he was aware that um, Henry Ford's dying breath was captured in a jar and held in the Henry Ford Museum. And he said no, that he didn't know that. And it turns mm. out that's because it never happened. Ah, mm. It was actually an old friend of ours, Thomas Edison's dying oh. breath, which was bottled in the Henry Ford Museum. So I just mm. wanted to correct that. This guy... Tommy Edison, I've had it with him. Why does he keep coming up? Yeah, I know we can't we can't lose him. He's an yeah. evergreen subject on this show. I know it's like the uh, the uh, not the Blue Men Group, just Blue Men Group brought to you by Thomas Edison. <laughs> it seems, uh, yeah. and it's it's starting to annoy me. Well, thank you, John, for that correction. And audience, please uh, adjust your notes. Uh, if you are taking notes during, I get a lot of messages, people telling me that they take notes during the show. And so I just want everybody to update their notes. Uh, I also have a, a minor uh, correction to make. Um, I said that uh, Isle of Man, we were talking about the, the, the guy who kind of skipped quarantine member and, and took the jet ski for a, uh, a nice romp in the Irish sea to see his lassie. Uh -huh. um, I, I mentioned that Leonard Cohen, uh, also a poet um, from Montreal, uh, recorded a live album on the Isle of Man. That is incorrect. It was the Isle of White. That's uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. W-I-G-H-T. So get your facts straight. Yeah, update your notes. And it's important that you take notes because there will be an exam at the end yes. of the period. Podcasts run. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there will be. I'm sure, a larger... last episode there will be a very long test. <laughs> yeah, and um, John, Devin, and I will be proctoring the test. Um, <laughs> we'll be we'll be taking it in a large gymnasium. Uh -huh. So uh, we'll be... we will be we will be um, doing six feet apart just for physical distancing reasons because of the COVID nineteen crisis. Yeah, uh, but. Please, again, yeah, take notes. And we will be doing uh, some office hours if you do need to ask us questions about the previous episodes and stuff. Some of them are confusing, but don't worry. We uh, Speculative history and that kind of stuff will be on the test. And don't All try right, and let's... cheat. I'll be strolling behind you, checking for crib notes with my hands behind my back, sort of looking mm -hmm. over your shoulder. Mm -hmm. I'm going to catch you if you're cheating. Over the shoulder boulder holder. <laughs> maybe we <laughs> actually maybe we actually do that on the first anniversary of the podcast when we can go back to the first episode, like a year oh, from yeah. the first episode, we can do a I love that active exam. Um so <laughs> An exam yeah, that that. So okay. I'm gonna that start composing so the exam. Yes. Good. And I do think I do think that there should be you are allowed to have like a crib sheet. I know, John, you just said that maybe you can't, but like, it's going to be like extremely small, you know, like where you, you have to write some very, you know, like very small writing. Yeah. You have 15, uh, 15 centimeters, no, 15 millimeters. You have to really pack it in. Yeah. That's very small. All right. Let's, uh, let's close that chapter of history and corrections and uh, move on to the next one.
All right, let's jump into what's in the news. John, take us away. Um, okay, well, I don't know if you guys saw this, but this is sort of like, you know, we have presidential pardons coming at the end of whatever the president's final couple of days in office. Pardon? I don't remember who it is. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, we have a sort of parallel story. Uh, in Australia, a pigeon that Australia declared a biosecurity risk was scheduled to be executed, but has received a reprieve after a U.S. bird organization declared it a uh, counterfeit interloper. <laughs> counterfeit um, interloper. <laughs> yeah, very, very interesting story. Uh, keep just stay patient, stay focused, because it's a strange, it's a hard to understand story. Yeah, I, <laughs> I explained it to Devin. He was like, uh, maybe you should. Uh, explain this one um also, basically a pigeon was found in a melbourne backyard and it had a little tag on its foot and someone mm -hmm. identified it as a u.s oregon uh racing pigeon from like thirteen thousand miles away and because of the like <laughs> flora and fauna rules of like import export they had to kill it because it was a biosecurity risk mm -hmm. and then u.s officials pointed out that whoever put the band on the pigeon put a counterfeit counterfeit banned so it wasn't a real u.s pigeon; yeah. it was just a regular australian pigeon yeah so then they decided not to kill it the weird thing about the story is that it's not clear when but at some point australia's agricultural department named the pigeon joe after u.s president-elect joe biden <laughs> so either before when they were planning on executing it they named it after the u.s president or afterwards but it seems like before because it was a big sensational story yeah yes um, also, I would like to point out that uh, the person who found the bird uh, is named Kevin Selly Bird. Whoa. Yeah. So that's weird. Um, yeah. This, uh, yeah. It's unclear whether this story is everything that first it, it purports you know, to be. It first appears. But um, in any case, yeah, there was a bird, a sacrificial bird called Joe. <laughs> that uh turns out they didn't have to kill after all yeah yeah also i was thinking about that like the uh the rush to the, you know it's like the, the the guillotine thing it's like the rush to kill the bird i know it's yeah. like uh oh is that a fake fake ban on it's like we got to kill it let's kill it now i need to kill this thing it's like whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. let's let's contact the uh american um what was it? The uh, American Racing Pigeon Union? I think we need to... <laughs> this may be a unionized bird and we have to find out if it's legal or not. Might and also... An international incident. Yeah, that's the ultimate, like, boy, are my arms tired. If it were from, <laughs> from yeah. Oregon, it's flown, like, 13,000 miles. Yeah. yeah, which seems unlikely. So then what you come to is that somebody made a fake yeah. band that made it seem like the bird was from Oregon... Why? <laughs> to like get the bird killed. Like it's like uh he has like some kind of petty problem with this pigeon. But he can't do and, it himself. So right. he has He's, to sort of create this roundabout way where the bird gets named after Biden and then almost and like gets officially killed by executed the by the state. And yeah. then where where's yeah, where do you get counterfeit pigeon labels like tags? And you especially gotta, from Oregon. You gotta be a professional like copy uh copier, yeah. like a, a counterfeiter. Yeah, you probably does like counterfeit currency as well. If I was in, an investigator on this case, I would be looking at people that do pigeon racing in Australia with some connection to the U.S. You know, you, you really need to be like deep inside yes. baseball. 
yes to, to even pull this thing off so inside yeah. cricket down there i would be looking yeah. i would be eyeing this uh this bird guy who found the bird whose last that's name true is bird. i'd Selly be eyeing bird. him hard yeah yeah i would be like something's not adding up here yeah oh you just found a bird and your last name is bird like come on man the the i i i'm not I, I I I'm like a bit more sophisticated. As I'm, I'm not trying to brag here, but I, I'm and I'm a bit more sophisticated than that. Yeah. Just to be to be running games like that on me, but yeah, this was uh, widely reported. If you look up, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Selly Bird, there's not much to find on him because it's just this this yeah. article. But nonetheless, I guess the lesson of this story is really yeah. to don't play around with the Australian Agricultural Department because no. they they are not taking any of these issues lightly. Yeah. Um, I just want to leave with how how heated this this issue got um, with an excerpt from the article. Please. Acting Australian Prime Minister Michael McCormick had earlier said there would be, quote, no mercy if the pigeon was from the United States. <laughs> if Joe has come in a way that has not met our strict biosecurity measures, then bad luck, Joe, either fly home or face the consequences, McCormick said. Jesus. This wow. Is a, I feel like this is a threat on, you know, the head of yeah. state. Yeah. Yeah, this is it like basically is Australia trying to protect their sovereignty, their air sovereignty and biosecurity sovereignty. And like, uh, I'm starting to believe that maybe if the the why is the acting Australian <laughs> prime minister commenting on Joe the bird? I don't know. Is nothing going on there? We do have listeners in Australia. Please let us know uh, what the fuck is going on um, <laughs> with your bird situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're going to well, need to shut down all pigeon racing until we can figure out what the hell is going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, okay. So pigeons, keep an eye on them. We need to keep our eyes in the sky. Keep our eyes peeled on pigeons. Look for tags. That's all I can say. And we're keep taking your. A- Pigeons. Bird's eye view on this issue. Yeah, we keep your pigeons out of Australia. That's all I gotta say. All right, let's uh, let's let's move on. We uh we have a new uh new segment that I would like to introduce. Um, some of us have been at some some listeners have been writing in, DMing me, etc., asking for financial advice, and I am not the person to give it to you. But I get my financial advice from Reddit. Uh, specifically the uh, Wall Street Bets uh, subreddit. It's where I dump all of my uh, billions of Bitcoin into. Um, now, this link was uh, actually posted by a friend uh, friend of the pod, uh, Pogo New. Um, and this is, the title is, uh, I am financially ruined. So this <laughs> is a, a Reddit post in Wall Street Bets, uh, which kind of has like a, little cartoonish character that looks like Donald Trump as their uh, avatar thing. Um, So the the poster, uh, the Emperor of Jenks is the user. Now, some of you may say like, okay, this sounds kind of off. Listen, the post history kind of checks out. Um, But it is also uh, considered a shit post on the thing. So nonetheless, I'm going to read it. Uh, I have lost everything, and I'm not sure how to continue. This summer, I invested $17,500, aka six-month salary, in my entire life savings into ornamental gourd futures, hoping to capitalize on this lucrative emerging industry. After watching a video about Vincent Kasuga and his monopoly on onions, I decided I'd try to do something similar with another vegetable. 
I did some research and found out many agricultural forecasters expected this year's gourd yield would be far smaller than the past due to deteriorating soil conditions in central Mexico and warmer than average spring. At first, demand soared around Halloween and the prices skyrocketed. But the gourd bubble burst on November 12th. Unfortunately, the coronavirus caused a massive drop-off in demand due to fewer families decorating their tables for Thanksgivings and prices plummeted. Thanksgivings multiple, I said there. Uh, <laughs> I had invested early enough that I thought I would still be fine. But then on the morning of December 2nd, a new email in my inbox caused my stomach to turn into a pretzel. The massive gourd shipment from Argentina, Tina, scheduled for early March, had arrived. I was planning on selling off my futures right before this in February, but this ruined everything. To top it off, the gourds in this shipment were absolutely gargantuan, some topping four pounds each, causing the price per pound to drop like an anchor into the range of six cents per pound. I am ruined. Mm. Well, you know, I, I for one hate to see anyone lose a bunch of money in the market. Uh, yeah. And well, I feel for this user. Yeah, especially during gourd season. I mean, like, uh, it just seems as though because we're not having people over, I guess, we're not uh, decorating our houses with gourds. We're not bringing in the cornucopia, the gourd cornucopia at uh, Thanksgivings. And uh, I, I just don't know. I, I, I'm, I feel for this person, $17,500 is a ton of money. Um, I just don't think that, they're going to be able to get themselves out of this uh, prickly situation. <laughs> Can we find, I wish we had a soundboard because I would love to cue up the uh, episode of the Simpsons clip where Homer's uh, uh, stock broker is yelling at him to, you got to dump your pumpkin futures before Halloween, before. Homer, you knuckle beak. I told you a hundred times. You got to sell your pumpkin futures before Halloween, before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it is It is very um, Simpsons-esque. Uh, I, I personally stay away from uh, all futures buying uh, on commodities. John knows this. Um, yeah, we had many heated discussions about this. Yeah, we, we like to go to Chicago and jump into the commodities exchange and just <laughs> trade some, uh, you know, grains and pig and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, this is I listen, I don't have any um, advice per se, uh, but if I did, if I, you know, if somebody put a guillotine under my head and over my head, I would just say, don't uh, please do not invest in gourds <laughs> even if you have a hot tip like this guy seemed to have yeah yeah well i think 2020 has been a very unusual year for all kinds of reasons and the the markets have performed in unusual ways so hats off to everyone that's lost their savings or made a killing on short selling gourd features <laughs> yes <Yeah>. exactly <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's definitely um, some Christian Bale-esque uh, figure who's who's shorted, who knew, who could see through all of the the confounding information and could see that this was, you know, a market that was going to crash. That person uh, could be closer than you think. <laughs> um, wait, did Devin? <laughs> well, we don't. He is. 
It's weird because this is the first time that he's ever podcasted from a jacuzzi, but yeah, I know. <laughs> Gord I Futures where he got the money for that. Yeah, I, I, uh, well, here's something interesting. Um, I uh, bought a pumpkin. Be careful if you're going to say something. It's not. <laughs> I know. Interesting. I was like, oh, here I'm setting myself <laughs> up. I bought a pumpkin uh, before Halloween. Obviously, didn't carve it. Okay, mm-hmm. just kept it big, big old pumpkin. Mm-hmm. It didn't deteriorate at all. It's still outside in my backyard and it's like frozen and it's in like perfect condition. I'm thinking this pumpkin may just last until next October and I can save six bucks and I don't have to uh, get a new pumpkin. That's probably what caused the market to crash. Probably need to buy any new ones because they weren't carving them and they've been outside and like preserved. That's true. Yeah. Well, um, it seems as though... uh, we have we have some tips on uh, how to keep pumpkins good, but we cannot help you with your financial, um, you know, burdens with regards to uh, gourds and uh, their ilk. So let's 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 uh, move on um, to an, another new series that we have. Eyes on China, the BMG China series. Yeah, so we've got a couple of stories uh, coming out of China, specifically stories about Chinese subcultures. Um, and maybe I'll just intro this one and then we can get into the discussion that John and I were having earlier about kind of what it means that these stories are coming out, what the, what the angle on these stories is. Um, but the first one is about China's new age communes. Um, essentially communes started by millennials that are burned out or frustrated with their role in, uh, China's new society. Um, An excerpt from the article, over recent years, young Chinese have become increasingly disillusioned with the grueling work schedules and cutthroat competition that come with living in the country's major cities, leading many to embrace a range of alternative lifestyles, from extreme saving to hermit culture and alternative food networks. Built on a rough, overgrown hillside, a settlement consists of two houses, a ramshackle shed, and an igloo-shaped structure that residents call the dome. There are also six chickens and a composting toilet that uses sawdust instead of flushing water. So this article is a, covers one commune in particular um, that uh, serves as an example of uh, what seems to be a trend amongst Chinese millennials. Um... The photographs kind of read to me as like a Chinese urban outfitters catalog. Yeah, it's like very. Uh, I mean, the the photos are, I they're very nice. I I think they're 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 great photos. Uh, it is really interesting. I guess just uh, I I think it speaks more. I'm speaking for myself, but it just speaks to like how how little I know about China, and just how like many many people there are. But like, uh, obviously. I don't know. I guess I'm like, I didn't know there was communes in China. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, it's communist there, right? So technically it should be one <laughs> big commune, right? 
Yes, John. Thank you. But anyway, yeah, it seems like Chinese society is having its kind of hippies moment, uh, yeah. at least according to the claims of this article that, you know, young people are suddenly deciding that they no longer want to participate in the rat race and they're forming these alternative utopian communities. Um, yeah. And, and it says that the uh, COVID-19 crisis caused many in China to reassess their priorities. So like the, the communes have seen like a boost, obviously, like people similar to in the United States, you know, people who like back to the land kind of thing. Uh, but then there's a quote from Li Junjian. Uh, if my parents could see what I'm doing, they'd be so pissed off, <laughs> which is sweet. Um, yeah, the, the, it, it def definitely seems like uh, um, similar shit like to again like it to america but maybe i'm thinking we should we need to be over in china to to get in on this uh hippie movement the free love movement yeah yeah absolutely. we um, need to do some like deep cover like long-form journalism where we like ingratiate ourselves in the community maybe like lose sight of who we are where we come from yeah we can bring a guitar too that would yeah. that, i think that would help <laughs> and john yeah, maybe yeah. you can explain this other article that's related and then we can kind of talk about the broader picture yeah what seems to be very interesting about china right now is that it's both experiencing it's like 60s movement and also it's like late 70s punk movement because apparently <laughs> wuhan is like the center for chinese punk yes and there was an article that came out recently uh wuhan calling how uh the city's punk rock scene changed china's youth um and it's sort of just a profile on a couple different like chinese punk rockers who have like mohawks and liberty spikes who live in Wuhan and wear like leather vests with like metal studs and formed bands uh, in the nineties because they were influenced by Nirvana. Yeah. And, and it's a very, um, the, the, the look is, is very 79 London. It seems, you know, like, uh, yeah, it's very Vivian West or mm -hmm, whoever mm -hmm. that. Punk rock yeah. Was. Yeah, exactly. It, but it, but it, again, like it's, it's so weird that they were influenced by a nineties band and then they take it visually, like their their aesthetic is is seventies, late seventies, like you said. But then also converging, I'm sure there's like some overlap somewhere with like the commune people and uh, maybe the the punk the punk people uh, in Wuhan. It seems I don't know. Wuhan's like what a year for Wuhan. Just so <laughs> much news coming out of Wuhan. Yeah, Wuhan is definitely like the most interesting city uh of the last two years I would uh say. yeah and so <laughs> the uh the 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 big band that they keep on referring to is smzb uh smzb for our canadian and australian new zealand listeners uh it's a chinese hardcore punk band that's about all we know they've been in uh uh there is an article from um tim jones uh october 2014 um about them uh the, yeah, Wu Wei is the uh, or Wu Wei is the 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 front man from S SMZB, um, and there's an interview with him there. Well, and it's interesting too that this this was bands formed in like the early '90s, so this is sort of like a Gen X scene, and then the the urban like burnouts who have joined the hippie commune are like millennials mm -hmm. so there's some sort mm -hmm. of generational divide with like how these people are being affected, and they seem to be choosing different. Uh, ways to go about it. Yeah. yeah, I'm wondering if there's like another in another section of China since it's so big and there's so many people that there's like P 
people who were alienated from China and who like started grunge or like there's like a hip hop. Yeah. There must be various American subcultures just strewn through or strewn across China. Yeah. And uh, also just looking for this band SMZB, uh, I found them on YouTube and there's a, a channel called the Chinese Alternative Music Archive Project. Um, and they have uh, one of SMZB's songs called Chinese Music from 2001. Uh, the lyrics are, do you like Chinese music? I don't like Chinese music. Do you like Chinese soccer? I don't like Chinese soccer. Do you like Chairman Jiang Zemin? I don't like Chairman <laughs> Jiang Zemin. And uh, that's, that's the, uh, the song. It's a minute, 31 seconds. Let's give it a little taste. Right now, uh, thank you, China. Thanks for everything you've given to us, uh, your products I love. Um, <laughs> now, for a little fresh air, we're going to fly over to Europe. Uh, now, some of you may be asking, are we going to profile another European monster? No, we're not. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a look to the brighter side. We're going to look into the sky, the bl beautiful blue sky with green grass. And what do I see up there? I see mountains. What, what are those? The Dolomites? Ah, maybe. They're, but there's more specifically the Alps. Uh, this past week, I was... I don't even know where the Dolomites are, to be honest. I think it's in, like, Italy or something. But, uh... I was looking at alpine towns, something I love doing uh, once in a while. I, I just think they like look really beautiful. Um, I, I, I think that I would like to go to the Alps someday. Um, and something I found out about is the alpine town of the year. And I would just love to celebrate the alpine town of the year. Now, some of you may be asking, some maybe not even asking, but let me tell you what it is. The Alpine Town of the Year is an award given to towns which have made exceptional efforts for the realization of the Alpine Convention and for, the, and for sustainable development. So uh, essentially, it's an award <laughs> that uh, just gives it, it's given to just a nice ass community, right? And so I, I found this by looking up 
Tolmin, Slovenia. I don't know why I was looking that up, mm-hmm. but I read it looked really nice. Again, I like looking at pictures of mountainy places when I'm not feeling that great. It makes me feel good. And I was like, damn, I want to go here. I want to go to this blue watered place. Look it up. Look up Tolmin, T-O-L-M-I-N, Slovenia. That is an alpine town of the year. So uh, the honorary title, it's an honorary title, by the way, Uh, Alpine Town of the Year is awarded annually. How about that? Anybody know about that? Uh, By the general meeting of the association's members at the recommendation of a jury. Okay, now, so I immediately I'm trying to get on this jury. Who the jury is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the again, we, yeah, we don't know who this this jury is, uh, but I guess they're the on the Alpine Convention, or they're part of the Alpine Convention. Alpcon. Alpcon. Yes, thank you. Uh, which is a international territorial treaty for the sustainable development of the Alps. Uh, Do you think that? Um that you have to have had or have tuberculosis in order to judge uh, fairly what Alpine town is particularly good. <laughs> Wait, why, why TB? Is that a, that uh, used to be the, that used to be the like way you would cure or treat people with TB. You would just send them to like mountain like, ah. and you would make them sit out in the sun with like yes. in sleeping bags. It's and like, so it was people, like, yeah, people who were like, you're probably going to die, but we'll send you to like a really nice resort. And then, yeah, We'll see what happens. Yeah, all the uh, towns and, and cities in um, uh, Germany and Austria and all that with BAD, B-A-D, on, on their name uh, right. indicates that it was a former uh, w- w- sanitarium. Or what it, isn't that where old? Yeah. Is that where you're talking about, like sanitariums? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so... Um, is that, you need to leave, say, Wuhan because you were <laughs> a merchant there and you were maybe getting like a lot of crud in your lungs from like the dense urban living. And then exactly. they would send you to, you know, to uh, Tol- Tol- Slovenia. Yeah. Exactly. So that that's that w- w- what got me thinking about this is like, who owns the Alps, right? Like, cause, cause it's obviously straddling a bunch of borders and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, there, there has to be some sort of decision-making mechanism for that to work. So that's where the Alpine convention comes in. Who's involved in that? Austria, Germany, France, Italy, Liechtenstein, Monaco, Slovenia, and Switzerland. Unsure how much sway Liechtenstein has in that, but um, <laughs> they just—it's sort of like they let them sit on the board to make them feel included. Yeah, it's like yeah, the, I guess uh, they, they technically have to be part of it, right? Yeah, they, they don't. Get, Liechtenstein the doesn't really lead or really like. He doesn't feel the representative from Liechtenstein doesn't really like feel bold enough to like make any demands. Yeah, I like and, the Alpine Convention and Alpine Ten of the Year as an example of kind of cross-border cooperation and um, cultural exchange, international diplomacy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it fits with the, some of the themes that we've gone over in this show so far. Yeah, exactly, and and uh, I'm just wondering if if towns and cities know about it mm-hmm. in in these Alpine areas because. From what I've seen, like Alpine Town of the Year, I don't even know if they're did they twenty twenty they just may have skipped it. They but there's determined it, yeah. Well, yeah. It's still twenty twenty in Europe because it's a different time zone. Oh. Okay. Um yeah, they've been so they doling it out, dolomiting it out since nineteen nineteen ninety seven. Um, it looks as though countries like it seems as like all of the winners, the Alpine towns have 
they've kind of been like, uh, you know, other countries, almost all of them except Liechtenstein have won. <laughs> um, Italy seems to be clearing it up like it's yeah. a soccer match. Um, I wonder what the standards are. I mean, it's like, do you have to have a certain amount of like St. Bernard yes. patrolling like the area with little those little bell. barrels of bourbon? Yes. What, what is the bourbon for? Is that for the hiker? To warm you up. Yeah. Okay. I think it's supposed to be brandy, no? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, brandy. Oh, you're right. Okay. Yeah, bourbon. They, they it's like, yeah, it's straight Kentucky yes. bourbon. <laughs> yeah. It's like give me give me the give me the like the shotgun stuff from uh, rural Kentucky, please. I'm a yeah, St. Bened- Bernard. Kentucky Benedictine monks have been making yeah. this uh, mash for years. Um yeah, so essentially when you get the uh, Alpine Town of the Year award by the uh, Alpine Convention, you have to throw or like whatever uh, at least three international events. Don't know. The, the countries are so small. Like international can just mean like somebody from Liechtenstein comes over. And then two sustainable projects uh, have to also be realized, which I don't know, like composting or something like that. Um, seems cool. Seems good. I would like to get on the jury. I do believe that we should have a say in uh, some of this just because of our, um, you know, extensive discussions about borders and like i think we're pretty good at that and like who can share what and i think we're good mediators for mm-hmm. situations like this so we're objective we're neutral exactly john maybe we'll get on the board and we'll finally give Liechtenstein its due yeah if anything i believe it's their time and uh even you know like in 2020 if there's going to be like a little star next to uh the alpine town of the year because of coronavirus Hey, whatever. Give it to Liechtenstein. They've been here. They've been in the meeting for a long time. Liechtenstein, Liechtenstein is kind of one of. It's like one of the biggest micro nations. Yes, in a way. True. It sort of straddles <laughs> the line between regular nation and micro nation. Yeah, it's kind of like Pluto. It's the yeah. China of micro nations. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Among micro nations, it's like it's unquestionably the world power. Right? Yeah. And um, no mention of Luxembourg. I guess they don't have any. Uh, they don't have any mountains. No, I guess. no. Um, either way, Alpine Town of the Year would love to see a 2020 city, uh, town, village, whatever. Get it, and uh, you know I'll be the first one to congratulate them. I'm googling so- Alpine Town of the Year uh, doping scandal. I'm not getting anything. <laughs> That's good. Good. Yeah, we're uh, we're happy for that. Uh, in celebration, let's uh, eat some milk chocolate, ride a St. Bernard, and uh, drink some Kentucky bourbon. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please keep it going. Uh, we will see you oh, soon. We wait, will- wait, 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 wait. Before what? we go, uh, I wanted to introduce an idea, and you can provide an address for me. Um, what we want to try out on the show here is getting submissions from listeners um, for topics that you want us to dig into and investigate, yes. things that you want us to talk about, but only by mail. Yes. Um, we'll talk about this more later, but we're very interested in reviving the the art of sending mail um, rather than using the internet. Yep. And we want to sort of kick that off with this show. And so we want to present, uh, Ron will present a P.O. box that you can send mail to and any mail that you send to the P.O. Box, we will take a look at yep. and talk about on the show. 
Yes. We will read it. We have to. We have to. So also, I just want to add that uh, all you need to do to send mail is an envelope and one stamp that costs like 50 cents. So it's extremely cheap to send mail. You can do it. Uh, please, if you would like to send mail to the Blue Men Group, Blue Men Group, uh, you can send it to R-E-N-N. That stands for the Ron Ecstasy News Network. If you want, you can add BMG in there as well, but it really doesn't matter. P.O. Box. Write this down. <laughs> P.O. Box 21249. Detroit, That's Michigan, USA, 48221. Say it again. Yes, that is P.O. Box 21249, Detroit, Michigan, 48221. All right, everybody, send your mail. We'll read anything that you send us, and we will discuss it, uh, but only by mail. And if you'd That's like right. a particular uh, blue man to read it, you can always send care of. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Specify which of us is your favorite and which you which of us want you'd off like. the show. Yep. Yeah, who should be voted off, etc. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Looking forward to checking out your mail. And we will be in your ears next week. In the meantime, be good. Bye -bye. Love you. Bye.